Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. Jill Merdeski, owner of Jill's Next Door Dog Walking and Pet Sitting Service, is on a mission to perform at the highest standard and equip her clients to give the best care possible. Today, she shares her passion for ethical pet care and why it's so important to understand canine emotion and cognition. We also discuss what it means to be an advocate for pets and how we can all raise the bar on industry standards. Let's get started. Absolutely, Colin. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to jump on and to share my story and hopefully offer some insight into what we do. Um, My name is Jill Merjeski. I'm owner of Jill's Next Door Dog Walking and Pet Services, LLC in Boca Raton, Florida. We are, and I'm just going to read my mission statement so I make sure I cover everything. We are a boutique company that aligns its goals with the highest of industry standards, providing knowledgeable, ethical, and attentive pet care. Jill's Next Door offers service excellence and peace of mind to pet owners and their loved ones. And our territory includes Delray Beach, Boca Raton, and Highland Beach with a team of insured, bonded, and trained pet sitters. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that mission statement. How did you come up with that? You know, it took a lot of back and forth. I wanted to make sure um, that I was covering all the bases. And for me, it was important to to really look at my core values and what what I wanted to establish with the business. And then with the core values and the the um, ethical business that I liked to, that I wanted to portray, I really wanted to get that out there and say, listen, you know, we are an ethical, heart centered, loving, animal loving team of professional pet sitters that are qualified and experienced and trained to take care of your pet, and with with the most customized individual plan for each need for each uh, client's needs. So that's what I really wanted to portray. We're leading with heart, we're leading with passion, and we're also very professional. I love that word there, ethical. Uh, How does that influence or why was that important for you to include that in your mission statement? Because I think it establishes trust and that's who we are as as individuals. Um, It was really important for me to really get to know the client and establish those relationships and really gain their trust and, you know, um, the like, the no like and trust factor and getting to know my clients, their needs and bringing it back to our mission statement saying, Hey, we're in this, you know, we, we want to be here. We want to be doing this and we do things correctly and we do things morally and we work from the heart. And that's, that's really how it, it, how it runs. And I portray that to my team and I say, you know, this is who we are. And I make sure when I'm hiring and I'm going through the applications and I'm getting to know um, my sitters as as I'm onboarding them, that they come from the same core values and ethic and moral values that that Jill's Next Door represents. So that's the one thing that I look for um, in developing my team and to make sure that it's a fit. Um, we, we cover all the bases in that regard. Um, that's the most important thing for me um, is to make sure that everything's done correctly and everyone's taken care of and we do things a hundred percent and we do it full circle as a team um with my oversight with you know everything that comes through with every dog visit or pet visit interaction i'm overseeing everything to make sure that everything's running smoothly and that we're all communicating in a positive responsible way and i you know when you're caring for animals I, their their health and safety comes first and so 
we want to make sure that we're portraying that. So that's really where the mission statement came in is, you know, d- digging deep down in my heart and and making sure that that's out there. Yeah, and that ethical, that ethics comes in in not just how you're interacting with the pet, but also with the client, with its owner. Um, it sounds like you're even furthering that into how you're interacting with your team and how your team is expected to interact with those around them too. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really up there um, on my list Um, that, you know, I have to make sure that my sitters are trustworthy going into um, clients' homes and having access to their homes and their property. Um, That is a big, big deal for me. So of course we do the background checks and everything like that. Um, we have protocols in place so that for any sort of mishap, I have a protocol um, and I make sure of that. And that gives me peace of mind. It gives my team peace of mind and it gives my clients peace of mind. So anything that could possibly happen, you know, we have an emergency protocol and I'm available 24 seven. And so I make sure, you know, I try to limit my dog walks um, and just hand them over to the team so that I can be readily available. Should something happen, I need to jump in. And that's also why I tried to tighten my territory at this time so that I can be available to jump in, whatever may happen. And that goes back to seeing the oversight and all the transactions that go on between the client and the sitters. So I can make sure that there's nothing amiss, you know, um, anything can happen. Um, animals are unpredictable. Um, people are unpredictable. So I just have to, I have to get in front of the ball and just make sure that everything's running smoothly. So my proactive attempt at that is to make sure that we have systems in place, standard operating procedures and everything going as much as well as possible before anything happens. Yeah, and that's so hard too, right? Making trying to think of all those possibilities, but it, part of that is just building a building right. in a culture of communication and planning, so that even mm-hmm. when unexpected things go wrong with, or or happen, which they do all the time, you're not totally caught off guard. You've already done some you know mental exercises and some preparedness. It's kind of like you know you're more prepared than you think for those kind of events. Exactly, exactly. And everything, I like everything documented as well. So if there is a mishap or if there's a sitter incident, we have a sitter incident report. And I really recommend pet sitters, if you don't have one, just, you know, type one up. What happened, where, you know, the why, what, and, you know, how. Um, And then just have the sitter sign it and then possibly even the client sign it. So we're all on the same page. And for me, that really covers all the bases just in case it comes back later. Um, And so documentation is really, really important. Now, not to mention what before I had a team of amazing sitters, I was a solo sitter. So I've experienced everything I think you can possibly think of, you know, getting locked out, the key breaking in the lock, um, you know, the, the aggressive dogs. I mean, anything that you can think of that went wrong, I probably experienced it. So, you know, I just, I anticipate the worst. So (laughs) 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 it's, it's just what it is. And, you know, I try to prepare my sitters without scaring them saying, you know, things can happen, but we'll figure it out. It's not going to be the end of the world. You know, we'll figure it out. We're a team. Yeah. Well, that's, that's key, right? Is going, this is not, this discussion is not meant to scare you or frighten you or make you feel like it's the end of the world. What this is, what we're talking about is meant to prepare you so that you already know when you go into a situation, something bad could happen or something could go wrong. When you're expecting that, it's not nearly as a surprise and you can think through it a little bit more clearly. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that goes back to um, also people get into this industry sometimes thinking like, oh, I walk dogs. It's more than that. Um, there's, there's so much to consider and, you know, between getting to know the pet, getting to know their personality, the aggression part of it, if they have, um, unwanted behaviors, um, there's, you know, how to deal with another dog that's walking down the street. Do we do dog parks? And the answer is absolutely not. You know, it's for us, safety and wellness is, is, Number one for us, you know, we make sure that the client is not interacting with any other person walking down the street with a dog or even just a person at, you know, just walking down the street by themselves. Um, and that's not, of course, to be antisocial. You know, we might do a wave, but then we walk the other direction because safety comes first. With that being said, you know, our sitters also, if a dog is aggressive, we do not take on that client. And we do have some clients that have unwanted behaviors, but they do, uh, once the sitter gets to know them and it's, it's really, really fine. Um, but as far as aggressive dogs, I refer them out because I believe that they need a higher level of care. Um, and that's just for the safety of the dog. Um, we are not trainers. I don't, you know, I don't promote that we're trainers. I don't expect my sitters to be trainers and, you know, we just, we just feel, I feel that my sitters, uh, you know, their safety is number one. Um, the client's safety is number one. And we're not doing a, a very good service if we're just kind of tiptoeing around this, this fearful dog. They really just need to be trained. And I'll I, you know, I have a strategic alliance with the local trainers so I can refer out um, really, really good trainers. And then maybe we'll come back and revisit this. Um, and I would go and feel out the situation and then determine, okay, you know, maybe we can work with this, with this pet, but otherwise it's, we just, we have to pull back from that. It's just not fair for our sitters. Right. Well, that's so important to know limitations and where the line in the sand is for you, you know, and not just yourself, but your sitters as well and keeping their safety in mind at all times. Like that is something pre thinking ahead about those kind of things of like, what would I say no to? What, what, mm-hmm. what how far out is that line? And then backtracking from there and maybe making it way in your comfort zone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, I always I always say to my sitters, you know, your wellness and happiness is also a big factor in addition to the safety. So I check in with them. We do um, four or five times a year, we do sitter check-ins. And I have them fill out a jot form. And I ask them how they're doing, how long they feel like they're, they're going to be here with us. Um, what, which clients do they feel that they're really excelling with? Which clients are, you know, giving them problems? And then we have this open conversation. Um, I also really keep track of their schedules and I just make them mindful of burnout. Um, and I provide them with, you know, a sitter sort of private link to give them information on sitter compassion fatigue, um, sitter burnout. Um, you know, taking care of yourself, self-care, and all those different things that make them the best person that they can be. So I'm very, very mindful. I look at their schedules and I say, oh, this, you know, this sitter's really, really busy. So I'll say, listen, if you need a break, you let me know and I'll jump in and we'll figure it out, you know, but their happiness and their wellness is very, very important for me. And I tell them right from the hiring get-go, I said, I want you to be happy. I want you to be successful. I want you to excel in this, you know, let's figure out a way for you to really take advantage of your position with us. So you can be the best pet sitter and have your dream job. And 
it's been terrific just having that open communication. Wow. No, that is, that is really, that is really uh, interesting to hear that, you know, that level of oversight and, and when you are managing somebody, it's not just managing how they are doing their job. It's also helping them manage their self themselves and their exactly. emotions and, and making sure that they're, they're okay. Was that, was that something that you grew into or, or why, why is, why is that your management style? I think it's just me, to be honest with you. I really, really do. I'm just, you know, my my focus is on these relationships um, and just making sure that people are happy. And, you know, I think coming from experience, I was in a job for a very, very long time and I wasn't, I, I was burned out. I had compassion fatigue. I was, you know, they don't, I don't think... Um, I don't think a lot of managers, you know, owners really focus on that. And I think we really need to be mindful to make sure that people are happy. And I've interviewed a lot of people that were stuck in their dead end job and they were miserable or their, their, their boss was treating them horribly. And they came to me and I said, let's just, let's make this better. I want to make you happy. And if this isn't a fit for you, I'll help you find something that is, you know, I'll be your support system. I'll be your reference um, because I care about that. I want to provide jobs for people that love what they do and they wake up every day and you know they're just fulfilled in that way. And that that's really the cornerstone of creating the team is really who's a fit and who wants to do this, you know? Um, so it's important that my sitters are happy. Happy sitters provide great service. And you know, I can understand that. I can understand um, them wanting to be outside in Florida and wanting to be around dogs and taking care of them. And it's a great goal. We have that common goal and passion. And so, you know, it's important to, for their wellness and that they're taking care of themselves and they're, they're happy. And that's why I check in with them as well. It's, you know, are you happy? Are you doing okay? What can I do? If you need anything, I'm here. Um, and I'll help you succeed. You mentioned your your background there a little bit, and I do want to touch on that because um, you made a shift from um, being in academia as an academic advisor and have a background in psychology. What what made the switch into pet sitting for you? You know, I always wanted to be a dog walker, and I actually, I I, I really have. I always wanted to work in pet care. Um, and recently as I was moving down to Florida in 2016, I was packing up my things and I found notes from 20 years ago on how to start a pet care business. And this was, you know, early 2000s and the internet wasn't there. So I would call local dog walkers and find out how they were doing it. And I saved those notes. But at the time I was in graduate school at Westchester University in Pennsylvania, pursuing educational psychology. So I was on the route to work in the higher education sector. So it just wasn't the time. And quite frankly, I was really, really fearful of just starting something so new. And what were my parents going to, I was young, you know, what what were my parents going to say? I'm pursuing this graduate degree. Now I'm going to be a dog walker. You know, it just wasn't the time. And I was too afraid. So I didn't do it. So, you know, I was very comfortable and content in academia. Um, I helped thousands of students pursue their dreams and get them on track. And, um, you know, it was time at, at a certain point after 14 years of this, it was time to pursue my own dreams. So that's when I did some soul searching 
I resigned. Um, and simultaneously, my parents were moving down to Delray Beach, Florida. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I still doing in Philadelphia? Sold the apartment, resigned from my job, packed up. And then I moved to a neighboring town, Boca Raton. And when I tell you, I told my parents, I said, listen, I started to apply in academia down here because that was my skill set. That was my safety net. That was everything that I knew. And I had a robust resume of experience. And I said, well, you know, I guess I'm going to do this. But I really, really, really wanted to start in, in dog walking. So when I sat my parents down and I said, you guys, I don't think I'm going to do academia. I said, I think I'm going to be a dog walker. I mean, they their mouths just dropped open. They're like, what do you mean you're going to be a dog walker? I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to walk dogs. And they're like, oh my gosh, what, you know, are you having like a crisis? It's like, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want to do this. So for me, I think I, I said it wrong. You know, it's, it's, I wanted to have a pet care company. I, I've always wanted to provide jobs. I've always wanted to work in pet care. And now it's just grown. Um, and it's been an amazing journey, but I'm so glad that I took that chance. And anyone that's rethinking their lives and, and thinking their career path, if it's something that you want to do, you just begin. You just start. There's that academic advisor coming out. I see that. I see that now. <laughs> I know. I can't help but give my advice. I give my advice. It's like, you know, and I think that's part of the conditioning too with my my team. It's like, I'm so used to overseeing all these people pursuing their dreams and their jobs and helping them find careers that it's like, okay, well, how can I help you? And it's just, it's just yeah. a go-to. <laughs> So it's not a bad thing, but it's it's definitely a thing I've noticed. I guess it's yeah. eternal. Well, yeah. Well, and <laughs> uh, and just you know that 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 care and detail that you give to your to your staff, right? You mentioned that happy happy staff make for happy clients, and they give better care. And yes. just you know that that coming that's yes. not something that's forced. That's something that just as you mentioned, like that's just who you are and how you manage them, and you want to see them be successful and see them be happy and see them fulfilled in what they're doing. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I want to say. I love it. Have you heard about Timed Pet? Doug from Bad to the Bone Pet Care has this to say. Time to Pet has made managing my team and clients so much easier. Our clients love the easy-to-use app and scheduling features, and our sitters love being able to have all of their information organized and easily accessible. My favorite feature is the instant messaging. By keeping conversations on Time to Pet, we are able to monitor our team and ensure nothing ever falls through the cracks. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com forward slash confessional. When you made that jump, do you remember your first client that you got when you, when you made that leap? I'll never forget my first client because I had just moved to Florida and I was trying to brainstorm how to how to get involved in this. And so I found Rover.com, which I think was bought out by WAG. But in 2016, I joined Rover.com. I had, you know, no experience. I didn't, I didn't have a dog. I didn't have a leash. I had zero experience. So I just hopped on and I got my first client. I had just moved down here. So I didn't have my car yet. And this, this woman lived about 30 minutes from me. So I had to take a bus. And what <laughs> I took a bus and then I got there in like 40 minutes and the dog would not come out from underneath the bed and he was growling and I did not do a meet and greet 
beforehand. It was one of those, you know, hasty, the, the, the keys here, you know, the dogs here, just take them out for a walk. I mean, that's a big no, no now, but at the time I didn't know the process. I just sort of jumped into it. Like a lot of us do, or just, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So I arrived, I take this bus, I get there, this dog want to come out. It's growling at me. I'm trying everything. I'm throwing treats. I'm just, I'm, I needed to get this dog out. I can't say, Oh, I, I wasn't able to get your dog out for a potty break. I just couldn't do that. So I stayed for about an hour and a half and then finally got the dog out, did my thing. And that was a big hurdle. That was a big success. So just getting that dog leashed up uninjured and getting him out. Um, so from there I took the bus back. So the whole thing took about four hours and I think it actually cost me money for a 15 minute visit. But I just, (laughs) you just need to start. I just needed to get a sense, you know, before I started to, I I wanted to do my own business. I wanted to start my own business. So before I really need to know, like, do I want to actually do this? And you would think after that experience, I'd be like, you know what? No, but I did it. And I was like, okay, my first client, (laughs) she gave me five stars and I was off to the races. And so I did that for about, two years until I started Jill's next mm. store. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that story you're talking about, you know, it's just the, the number of lessons that come from that and how they impact your business for oh. years down the road. Is just, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget it. I, you know, I'm surprised I didn't turn around and be like, you know what? I think I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll start applying down here to, to colleges and universities, but it was worth it. I was so proud of myself. I mean, it took all day, but yeah. I got it done. Well, yeah. And that just shows, you know, you mentioned there of like, you just had to start, you had to start somewhere and that was how you started, right? It was like, you could have waited another couple of weeks and tried to get things in motion and get a logo and blah, blah, but you just needed, you needed to just get in there and see what it was like and and exactly and and stuck with it exactly exactly so here we are (laughs) now you you also have you also have that that background in 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 psychology and one of the things um that i know you you kind of you work in a little bit here is the field of canine emotion and, and cognition could you tell us about that Well, I think that, you know, as pet care providers, it's important to know how dogs think, feel, and feel about us um, and how we can use this knowledge to strengthen our relationship with the fur clients to anticipate their needs. Um, You know, I, I think just getting to know the dog and, you know, finding out what makes them tick or what makes them excited or, you know, just their overall body language, you know, what are they trying to portray? What are they saying? Um, and really getting to know the client to make, to make our visits the best visit, you know, how can I make this the best visit ever according to what makes him happy? What makes him fearful? What to avoid? Where to go? What's the best walking route? What's the best this? You know, does he like to be um pet on his belly does he is he sensitive around the ears is he you know fearful when someone walks in does he have a history of um abuse or neglect you know all of those different things help define the dog and the dog's personality so um I really really think it's important to apply the psychology you know to make sure that that we're taking care of the dog and the dog is happy or the pet in general. Yeah. And you mentioned there, it's, it's just, it's, it's part of it is just recognizing some basic behavior and, and really just observing that pet. Um, Cause not every dog, not every cat's going to exhibit the same emotions in the same way. So really taking the time to, 
to get to know that one and, and observe, maybe take notes while you're visiting or during the meet and greet it is really going to help you whenever a problem comes up or when, when you're needing to, to do some you know, uh, modifi- behavior modifications or some corrections later. Exactly. And I really, at the meet and greet, we, we discuss with the client, we say, you know, what, what are his fears, you know, and they might be thunderstorms. So I might say if the client's away and it begins to thunderstorm as it does down here quite often, Hey, I know that your dog's afraid of thunderstorms. Do you want me to tack on another visit? Do you want me to go check on him? Um, and so things like that. And also, you know, as professionals, it really separates us from the hobby sitters to say, hey, we, we recognize this in your dog. Um, and we want to create that positive experience for, for and human clients and for us, you know, so to, to separate ourselves from the hobby sitters and to talk to our clients, like, what have you been doing with your, your dog to eliminate unwanted behaviors? Let me see your style. And it, we'll try to mimic that. So we're enforcing those positive behaviors um, to continue that learning process for yeah. the pups. So that's part of it too, just having that open dialogue to make sure that we're both the client and, and the sitters are on the same path of, of creating a successful route for this, this pup and, and practicing the same things. Yeah, that is huge. I know for Megan and I, when we started, we would ask the questions like, what are they afraid of? Um, you know, uh, do they like, thund- are they afraid of thunderstorms? But we wouldn't ask that follow-up question of, Okay, what do you do when there's a thunderstorm? Right? We wouldn't we right. didn't ask that. It took us a couple of years to start asking that question because we realized like why are we trying to reinvent the wheel and figure out what's going to work for this dog when the owner knows exactly what they do, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it saves you so much time as the sitter and as I love how you said it helps reinforce that while this while the owner's away. Uh, and and so that it continues to, to to help the dog, and you're not trying to throw new things at them in an already kind of stressful situation in their life. Exactly, and to piggyback off of that, it's it's about you know um, with dogs that are fearful and tacking on those extra visits and being pet advocate. And speaking for the dog in a sense, if we see something, and this is what I really try to instill in my sitters as well, if we see something that doesn't seem right, say, for example, a dog is in a very, very small room, a large dog, uh, or and they're crated, their crate is too small, we advocate for the pets and we very gently say to the client in some way that we can say, you know, we, we love this dog. We love you guys as a client. We did notice uh, that the crate's getting a little, you know, the dog is outgrowing the crate, the, the area or the area where the dog is staying is a little tight. Is there a way that we can make this better? How can we make this better? And just bringing that information to the forefront and having that conversation. You know, some people don't want the unsolicited advice, but I haven't had a situation yet where they're, you know, they're saying, oh my gosh, you're, you're completely out of line because we got to advocate for what we see. Mm-hmm. And we are pet advocates and we do care about the well-being. Of course, that's why we're here. So if some clients just don't even realize that their dog's growing and they're outgrowing their crate, and that's just an example, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's been several examples of things that I've seen that just were, were not 
ethical. They weren't, you know, it was, you know, cats in a hundred and some degree weather outside in a cage. I mean, things that are just really, really painful to see. So we advocate and, you know, sometimes we turn down clients that we don't feel is that they're, they're, treating dogs or cats a certain way. We're just, you know, this doesn't feel right for us. Um, or we refer them out, you know, if they only book one visit, we might say, listen, they need at least two or three. And if it's, if it's, you know, we can refer you out to someone that's more economical as long as they're being taken care of. And I'll turn away that business. Um, and I hate to do that to my sitters, but I also believe in my heart that these dogs need more care. And if we're not providing more visits, then we're not providing the best pet care. We're lowering our standards. We're lowering the bar. And that's not how Joel's Next Door operates. You know, that speaks back to that, your mission statement there of, of running. An there it ethical, is. Right. There it is. That ethical <laughs> being, being, having those morals. And, and at first, when you think about that, it's okay. How are you interacting with others? But it's really assessing like, what are my own ethics? What do I view a pet sitter and dog walker should stand for and should be an advocate for? And you exactly mentioned, you mentioned several great ones there. Several great ones about um, the number of visits. If you think it is ethically wrong to only visit a dog one time a day, you cannot take that booking, or you can encourage them and speak up and out against that to get to try and have them more and know that it's not it's not just to get more money. You know, it's 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 to give the best care possible. And so that is take some time. I, I love I love hearing that and that connection there of going, this is what I believe a pet sitter, a dog walker should do ethically and morally. And I'm going to stand up for that and be an advocate for the pets when that time comes. Yeah, it's just something that it feels wrong to continue down that path. And a lot of clients just don't know. They might not know what their dog needs. Um or they might say, oh, he's okay. And, but, you know, we see something different. You know, we, we, see, we see things that maybe the client doesn't see. So I just like to open up that conversation and just be open and end it with, listen, we're just looking out for the best interest of your pet. And that's all we care about. Um, again, I'm happy to refer you out. So I'm not chasing the money necessarily, but I am saying I will help you find someone more economical that, you know, even though I think our pricing is very, very fair, I've done a local and national search and that's just a disclaimer. I do think our prices are fair. Um, but you know, with that being said, if there's someone that can just come more often, that's within your budgetary needs, then I'm happy to find that person for you and get this started. You know, I, I will even, you know, print out my notes and, you know, hand that over because I, I just believe that a dog deserves or a pet deserves the best care possible. I know that we can provide it, but not if we have those limitations. Mm -hmm. I did want to touch back on uh, the canine emotion, cognition, and some of the some of those things. And if if somebody wanted to know more about that, um, get more resources and learn more, did, did you have any recommended resources for people for listeners? I do. Um, when I first started this too, I actually took. Um, courses. And, um, I went out to, uh, 
Colorado to do this, um, but there's a dog walking academy. It's through Dog Biz, and I highly, highly, highly recommend this program. And I'm not a spokesperson, but this is just my experience because they give you a three day intensive dog walking course. Um, they cover you know walk management, basic training, first aid, emergency planning, how dogs think and learn, canine body language aggression, you know, all the things that we touched on. And then they also get into business development. Um, and they, the thing that I love about them as well is that they offer um, a hands-on training, lease training, and it's a field trip where they take local shelter dogs and they teach you how to walk the dog and how to prepare the dog and, and all the things that I had mentioned before. So having that three-day course really just solidified you know, how I was doing, what I was doing wrong and what you don't know, you don't know. So I remember being there and I'm like, I can't believe I went into this blind. There's so much to know. And especially getting back to canine body language and cognition and behavior and how that all ties in and what you need to learn from that and the signs you need to look out for that. And I learned the hard way a few times actually. And I just, you know, I got a case, I call it the case of the intermediates where I thought I was doing good and I was on a roll and I had five-star reviews and I, I was going after it. And I was like, oh, I got this. I can, you know, I'm the dog whisperer. Well, you know, you get a little, you get a little confidence and I made some wrong decisions. I w- went for the dogs that were aggressive and I, I had some, some injuries, you know, urgent care visits, <laughs> It was a learning experience and I will never, ever, ever put my sitters in that situation, but it was, it was a great foundation for what this business is about. And it was intensive. And I do believe that the dog, the dog walking Academy dog biz is offering online classes. Now, if you can't do something like that, I recommend in addition to going backwards, actually is getting your certification, which will cover um, the generals as well. And, and getting um, your pet sitter certification, you can go through, I recommend Pet Sitters International or National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. Um, and while you're doing that, then you become also a member, you get a discount on that. Um, and then you take these classes. I've taken so many webinar classes through PSI, through NAPS, through the International Boarding Pet Service Association, um, and a multitude of other other online classes that will teach you all of this. And it's part of the membership. So to just have that knowledge in your back pocket is a huge, huge advantage to um, pet sitters that are just starting out or want to continue their education. If you want to take it to another level, um, I actually got certified in difficult dogs and behavior through uh, Lifeline's 3D workshop in Utah. It's dealing with difficult dogs where um, Heather Beck runs it and it's amazing. It's like a four day event and you go out and it's a lot of actual dog trainers, but I I got a sense as to watching them train these dogs and they were aggressive dogs with these unwanted behaviors, problematic behaviors. And I got to see how they manage that. So I was just kind of on the outside looking in. Um, But what I recommend, if you create these, if pet sitters create this strategic alliance um, with their local trainers, and have them ask them if they can observe them training a pet or in their puppy classes and, and watch how the dogs react to them um, and watch their body language. That's a really, 
really good idea to strengthen those relationships with the trainers for a referral program, but also um, really just get to see firsthand from, from, you know, an eye in the sky and how reading body language, dog's body language, and then applying what they're applying. Now I go off of positive reinforcement. I don't believe in punishing dogs. You know, I think it can be effective. I think that um, dogs can, you know, heed their, their unwanted behavior or aggression by being fearful and stopping that behavior. But I don't think it's in the best interest of, of the pets. And I don't think it's necessarily safe. I believe in positive reinforcement where they're not fearful and, you know, they, they learn on their own terms. Um, but you know, that's just another thing that you can think of doing is just making those connections with trainers and just having a conversation about that. Yeah, that's a huge step. And I love that you, you, we added that because many people go, uh, you know, these certifications, these trainings, I got to travel or do online. It, it's just as simple. If you want to know more about canine emotion, cognition, training, talk to a local trainer. And because, you know, they've probably taken those certifications and trainings. And if you want to know if that's right for you or something you should or can add, talk to them about it. Go watch them during a training session. Ask questions. It, and you said it does two things. It, it helps educate yourself. and it builds that connection and builds that close community of people who you can refer to both to them and they'll send referrals your way too. So it, it's a, it's a win-win all over. It really is. You know, you can take them up for coffee or, you know, create that back and forth where it's like, you know, I get so many clients that, Hey, I just got a new puppy. And for me to go into my back pocket and say, here's, and be resourceful and say, here's a trainer that is fantastic. I know this and this and this about him. And then, you know, contact the trainer, say, Hey, I'm giving you a heads up. I'm sending a client over to you. I mean, it's a terrific sort of networking um, web and it just, it comes back to you. You know, the more you're out there, the better it is. You know, you really get rooted in your community and it's really essential for business owners um, or a pet sitter that's trying to build their client base to establish these connections. 2020 was a big year for a lot of people. Uh, so what, <laughs> how was 2020 for you? 2020 was amazing for us. It was a really, really good year. We had our challenges. Um, of course, we we really, really did um, in that regard, um, you know, as far as the pandemic and everything like that. But we really had to, I had to sit back and reevaluate how we were going to be structured in this. You know, a lot of people are home from work. A lot of people are home from school. So, understandably, you know, the pet sitting visits had, had been limited. Um, but I pulled the team together and I said, how, what do you guys want to do? You know, because again, your safety and wellness is, is paramount. Um, so do you want us to offer concierge service? And they said, yes. So, you know, we offered picking up you know, food, um, food delivery, you know, running to the pharmacy, anything that they needed help with, that was something that we offered and we pushed kind of to the forefront. Um, we offered gift certificates in advance. So we had those printed. We, um, reached out to our clients to check on their well-being, how they were doing, you know, what's going on. And we offered incentives and we had a very tight, again, going back to the protocol, um, 
COVID protocols, safety precautions um, with sitters coming in. If, if the client was home and they were working from home, we asked that they would be in a separate room and have the leash and everything readily available by the door. Um, we would wear gloves or end masks and have everything sanitized. So but we did follow those. Um, and I wanted to make sure that the sitters were okay without with being in a pandemic. Um, they some of them were like, okay, yeah, no, it's, it's no problem. And other sitters were like, yeah, it is a problem. You know, I visit my elderly mom regularly and I'm really concerned about this pandemic. And I said, no problem. Okay, let's think of something else. So in her case, I was able to give her a bunch of um, reports that I, that I was, um, that I had, that I needed reviewed. So I paid her for her time where she could work from home. And it was really essential, um, that she visit these reports. And also we have email campaigns. I wanted her to visit, to review those for typos. So I, I put her to work where she was safe at home. Mm -hmm. And then the other sitters would jump at the opportunity to do the concierge services. So I try to get creative with that. Um, so we're getting there, but it is picking up too. We had three new clients, you know, this week. Um, so it's, we're getting back out there. It's just, you know, in that regard, we're, we're getting through it. We're getting through it the best we can. It is a learning process for, for most of us, for all of us. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's good to hear that it was a, a team effort and you were still able to, to provide for your team and, and work together to, to solve problems from clients as they were coming up. Right, right, exactly. Are you a member of Pet Sitters International? PSI is the largest educational association for professional pet sitters and dog walkers with a mission to promote pet sitting excellence through education. After the tumultuous past year, having the support of a strong community and direct access to educational resources and business tools is more important than ever before as we rebuild our businesses in 2021. PSI is here to help. With a free monthly member toolkit, monthly bonus resources, online trainings, private member group, and much more, combined with group rates on insurance and background checks, PSI is your one-stop shop for everything you need for your pet sitting or dog walking business. As an educational association, PSI believes that if you know better, you'll do better, and invites you to join thousands of other like-minded professionals who are committed to offering the best possible pet care services and elevating our industry. If that sounds like you, visit PetSit.com to learn more. Our listeners can save $15 off their first year of membership by using the promo code PSC15 at checkout. 2020 was also a big year for you because you won a couple awards, and I want you to tell us about those. Well, um... Recently, and I, I am so honored about this, um, I was named Pet Sitter International's Pet Adoption Advocate of the Year 2020 and International Boarding and Pet Services Association's Petitarian of the Year 2020. I am so honored with this um, because in my free time, I do a lot of pet advocacy and it really took off this year. So it's been a phenomenal year with getting involved in these rescues. And I'll tell you why, because the rescues have been closed and they we were inundated with cats down here in South Florida. I've never seen anything like it before. Mm. So my focus really is on feline um feline advocacy and and bringing that to the forefront. So what I did when I first got down here, um, 
I didn't realize the cat population was so out of control. I just, you know, we didn't have this in Philly. So it started by me being, when I first moved out here, I had some roommates and um, I noticed some community cats hanging around. So I made the mistake or maybe it was a mistake, but I fed them all one day. Well, sure enough, they must have told their friends because... You know, yeah. my roommates, you know, they would wake up and they're they're not really animal people. They they wake up and they look out the window and they're like, Jill, your friends are here. And I look out the window and there's like 10 cats lined up on my do- my front door. And I'm like, oh my God, what did I start? <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, so they get in and they showed up at the same time every day day twice a day and I'm like oh my god so once you start you can't stop you know (laughs) so so it started with this community cat feeding and then once I moved out on my own and I had my own home I was able to start the fostering process and that's when it really kicked off because I'll tell you that kittens are the gateway drug to animal rescue once you have one kitten it's like oh my gosh there's so many more that need help there's so many cats and you know we need to do more Mm -hmm. and that was sort of my mindset and I took on a lot I took on you know a pregnant cat that gave birth that night in my bathroom. And that was a beautiful experience, but it was, you know, from there getting them adopted. Um, and then it just sort of, it, it, it snowballed where over the past three years, I think I fostered about 200 kittens and cats. I've reunited cat lost cats with owners. And so as I'm getting this, you know, all of these cats, I, I, said to myself, I need help. Like this is, I need to do more. And I think that is a big, it's a big realization. Like I'm only one poor person. I, I have limitations. I have, um, I don't have the resources. I don't have, you know, I get phone calls about a cat that left her kittens under a bush and they were dying. So that's when I thought, you know, I needed to do more. I got to do more here. So I need a team. I I onboarded a bunch of volunteers, um, an animal, a pet or cat trapper named Tony Sakel, who actually we found a farm that he hits a residence farm. So he lives on this property. But during that time that I onboarded him for trap, neuter, and release, TNR, um, to trap these cats that I was getting phone calls about that have given birth or the kittens or a stray kitten here, he would then trap them, bring them over. Um, And then from there, I created a home nursery. So I have a designated room in in the front of my house for a kitten nursery. And that has the heat lamps, the scales, the, you know, the toys, the play pens. I mean, this, this, this thing, it looks like I have like 10 children because there's toys everywhere. I had a little rocker. I had, you know, the whole thing. Um, I had a pack and play, like it, <laughs> it's a little crazy, but they love it. So I, I established this nursery, got the trap. Um, and then I hired, um, or onboard rather a volunteer, a great girl named um, Mandy Plato. And she would then come in and socialize with the kittens. So they would get used to being handled, used to being around different faces, and then giving them the best opportunity for adoption. Now, adoption is one of the most difficult things is because you really got to get that out there. And there's 
a window where they're small enough and a lot of people want kittens where they have to be vaccinated and get fixed and all these different things and socialized before they can get adopted. So um, I had to bring in a liaison named Brandy Everington who works with all these different rescues. So she came in and she helps me with the adoption process because she touched bases with all the different rescues and we're a part of all these social media groups that are, um, you know, kittens looking for homes, you know, and we just get the word out there and we've been very, very successful. So now that I had a team behind me, I said, I have to make this a thing. Mm. So that's when I created, um, the feline Jill's next door feline alliance program and what that is 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 a self-funded advocacy and feline adoption program created as an alliance with local pet rescues around Broward and Palm Beach counties um so we've worked with Florida's forgotten felines i heart animals kitty karma del rey um animal rescue force and we align our goals with, with with their feline saving and adoption endeavors. So we're just sort of the middleman where we get phone calls from people. Hey, I'm looking for a kitten. Okay, well, let me see what we have. Let me see who I have under my roof um, and let's get that going. Um, so I really wanted to create this alliance so that it was a thing and we have a team and this is a system. We have procedures in place. We have, I like procedures. I like systems. Yeah. So, and I needed help, you know? Um, and the reason why I had applied for these awards is because, you know, when you're up at four o'clock in the morning with the kitty emergency, or, you know, when they're newborns, Mm. they're soiling things all the time and doing wash at four o'clock in the morning and bottle feeding every three hours. You know, you get to a point where it's like, you know what, I'm applying for this award because I think I deserve it. Like I'm tired and I'm, so I just actually laid out the things that we've done as a team and I couldn't do any of it without my team. And I, once I put it all together and wrote everything down, I said, wow, we really, really did did a lot. Let's get this out there and see if anyone bites. And they did. And I was so shocked and so honored. And I still, still am. I mean, it's, it really, it, it's a representation of our passion for these animals and why we got started before making it a business. This is why we do it. You know, it costs money. It costs a ton of time. It's a 24 hour job and we're all doing it out of the kindness of our hearts. And that's really what it represents. So I'm really, really thrilled about those two awards. I just, I keep them right in my bedroom. So as soon as I wake up, I see them and I'm like, okay, Okay, we got this, you know? <laughs> so it's been a really exciting, exciting time. What I, I know that I'm talking a lot. I just, I'm sorry I'm talking so fast. I get really excited. Um, but, you know, between feeding um, the cat colonies, fostering, setting up the nursery, setting up the team, the Feline Alliance program, I wanted to take it a step further, of course. Um, so... I was working closely and I still am working closely with Florida's Forgotten Felines. And Florida's Forgotten Felines is a, um, it's a nonprofit and the owner is Susan Carmichael. And she goes out about seven hours a day to uh, feed these cat communities. And she's been doing it for decades and she's a true, true um, pet advocate. Um, And she's just such a fantastic woman. And so, you know, working with her for these years, I looked at her website and the website wasn't doing her really any good. It looks like something just was thrown together maybe 20 years ago. And 
So I said, Susan, you know, you really need to, I think you need to update this website. Let's make it really, you know, and she's like, I, you know, I don't have the, the, I don't want to spend the money to do that. If, you know, I said, look, I'll do it pro bono. So I got my amazing webmaster named Brian McGarry, who I give all the credit to. He helped me set up a new website for Florida's Forgotten Felines. And I just learned on the, on, on the way I, you know, I, I built this website. I've never built a website before. I watched YouTube videos. He he helped me a little bit, but I just worked on it day in, day out for a month. And now we have this beautiful website, um, Florida's Forgotten Felines. And it, you know, I went up to the where she feeds and I took these professional like pictures of the cats. And um, it's really a beautiful website. And then from there, I said, Susan, you know, because she's getting a little bit older and she would like to move on from this, but have someone come in and take her position. Um, and I, I'm not able to do that, unfortunately, but I did say, let's get your business model under, under wraps so that we can present it to the qualified person that comes in to, to, to take over. And she's handing me like post-its and notes and digging through all this stuff to find her business. And I'm like, oh my God, Susan, we got to organize this. So I pulled everything together and I made an Excel worksheet on how her whole system runs in addition to the new website um, and got that all organized for her, reached out to, you know, her, her, um, her, you know, the people that are giving money to her and, you know, just, I got everything organized and, and, you know, that felt great to do, especially in a pandemic where you can't really do too much. Everything's sort of virtual. So I'm like, let's get her online presence on point. I created social media for her and really her, her, um, there was a huge uptick in the amount that of money she was getting um, from donors. Um, so it was, it, it really has worked out well. And it's a gift that keeps on giving because that website's live. So um, we, we did a lot for that. Um, in addition to that, you know, normally Jill's next door, we, we sponsor, you know, um, different adoption events or, you know, things that are going along along the community. So we haven't been able to do that. Obviously everything was canceled. So we thought, you know, how can we, how can we still make a difference? So when Tony, our feline trapper got this farm, I said, listen, you know, you have all this acreage. I'm really concerned about your, your cats that, um, he also fosters and does that whole thing. So I said, I'm concerned about your elderly or unadoptable cats that are out in the elements, meaning, you know, with predators and all of that. And so I said, we should really build a catio, which is a patio meant for cats. So it's screened in. And he said, Joe, you know, I really don't have the resources for that right now. I said, let's start a fundraiser. So we started fundraiser and we, uh, we earned over $2,000 to build this catio. And we're having our ribbon cutting in a week from Saturday. So it's completed. It is beautiful. I'm so excited to show this to the world and to show it to our, our supporters and our our donors. And it's just an amazing thing. And it's also an amazing thing when we have, when we find cats that are just, they need a place to go, but they're not adoptable, meaning they're just too feral, um, or other, other, they're just sick or elderly. Like I 
upset or injured or, you know, they need more care. Um, we, we put them in the catio and on the farm. So we're in the process of really building this up and having that, that property so that any cats that we do see, we have a place. And then the cats that we do bring in that are on the farm that Tony traps along the way, Brandy and I, my liaison, we go up there, take pictures, and then we try to adopt them. So Feline Alliance Program is going to have a website. Right now we don't, but I'm I'm working on that. So it's there's more to come. In addition to that, we want to start um, a children's program um, that is going to help socialize the baby cats and introduce them to the rescuing process. Um, and that's that's going to be down the line as well. We have to get our ducks in a row, but really just opening their eyes to what this is about. And everyone loves p- playing with baby kittens. So there's there's a lot in store. So yeah. we really wanted the, the community involved, get the children involved, raise that awareness, have a property for the cats, have them safe, and have this team continue you on and it you know grow um we're all doing our part it's been very successful and with the award recognition it was just icing on the cake because it's so much work <laughs> it is it's, it so is. that was a really long answer <laughs> to your question but i got I, so I, excited I, that i just kept rambling yeah well and i'm really excited for you because it sounds like you know with all the hard work all of the passion all of the hours blood sweat and tears being poured into this I love yes. hearing about that. I really do. It's it's really uplifting and really encouraging. And I know, you know, myself included, I'm sitting here going, okay, I don't have a cat farm. I didn't even know a catio was a thing before you just said it. Um, how, uh-huh. how can I get involved? What are some things that I can do um, and be a better advocate for, for cats and felines? Well, what you can do is, I mean, just being a pet advocate in general is consider rescuing your next pet. Um, you can certainly volunteer at animal shelters, or if you have a particular skill set, you know, for anyone, say, you know, your skill sets in photography or graphic design, you know, join these animal shelters and offer your services because they could really, really benefit from it. Um, especially now that everyone's confined at home, you know, if you can offer any sort of digital help, like website design, or, you know, these rescues, and I've been all over the rescue um, websites down in South Florida, and they're really, really sad. They're just, you know, they got the flashing lights. You know, I don't even know what's going on. It looks like a MySpace page. You know, it's like, oh. you know, <laughs> it's like, it's so outdated. So I'm trying to hold back because I want to redo all their their uh, websites, but it's just so time consuming, and that's not my repertoire. So, um, but you know, if you do have a skill set. Um, or if you have um, pet toys or beds or blankets or supplies, you can drop those off at an animal shelter. If, if you go online on social media, you can, if someone is looking for an adopt, uh, you know, or looking for a foster, if you can foster, or if someone's looking for their lost pet on next door, you can share that, like just connecting the, the community. Um Keep an eye out for animal welfare. If you see someone doing something wrong or abusing an animal, say something, go to the authorities, you know, all of those things. And just being aware, um, teach your loved ones about animal rescue and what's going on and what's out there. Become knowledgeable. Um, teach your kids about the animal rescue and why it's important, why it's important to trap, neuter, and release to control the pet population. You know, I sound like Bob Barker, but yeah, I mean, it's really important to to maintain that these 
cats don't reproduce like crazy, you know? So it's important to, to keep an eye out for that. So just even little things, just being aware, just, you know, sharing your knowledge is, is a great start. Yeah, no, I like that. It's from big things from building a catio and running a farm all the way to just talking to somebody, especially a client who maybe has cats around their house, asking them questions. Are they spayed and neutered? Do you know who they belong to? Or um, just going down to, I love that idea of going down to the local rescue and going, hey, you know, I built or I, I've done work on my website. Can I help you with yours? Uh, and yep. just offering some of those. Like you might not think, you, you don't have to be an expert to offer help and advice in these kind of things. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it can be a little tough time consuming, but you know, you can pick and choose how much you want to give at that point. And, you know, getting back to what you had said, uh, you know, uh, one of our clients had cats, um, right outside of their, um, home and the, the female just had baby kittens. So I sent Tony over and he trapped them. I fostered them and then we got them all adopted. So it ties into making those relationships with the clients even stronger. Cause I took care of a big problem for her. You know, it didn't cost her anything. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, because there was about, there were six cats, you know, the female, the mom and, uh, the, the babies. So, you know, and she just would have kept having babies and babies and babies. So we were able to relieve her of that. And that helps everyone. And, you know, there's nothing better than adopting out a kitten and seeing them and keeping in touch with their adoptive family and seeing them grow and seeing how excited these families are to have their, their, their little pets. Cause I have my own pets and I love them to death. And so I have a lot of adoptive parents that have their kittens have their own TikTok or their own Instagram. And it's just crazy, you know, cause I, I, I would get phone calls of baby kittens under bushes that their mom didn't come home and I would get in my car and go all the way out there and, you know, bottle feed these kittens and they would just, you know what, we would suffer loss and, you know, there's a lot of disease out there. So it's, it, that's probably the hardest part about this process is, is losing kittens and cats to pan Luke or other, other diseases, faded kitten syndrome. Um, but to see the, the success stories of adoptive pets that are really, really loving their pets and their pets are thriving. It's just an amazing feeling for it to come full circle. Yeah, it's really great to see the fruits of that labor start to pay off and start to see those connections and start to hear those success stories uh, and, and recognizing, yeah, you, you are going to have to go through some really tough times and you are going to have to experience loss and setbacks. But with your eye towards the future and your, the stories of, of the successes that you have coming in from the clients, like that really helps, helps you stay engaged and involved and know, like, yeah, that's why, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're working through this. And that's why we're going through these hard times. Right, right. And I do have to give my team a lot of pep talks because, you know, we've had to set up makeshift medical stations while the rescues were closed. And it's, you know, spending, I had Brandy, my liaison, stay over and help me um, give, medicate the kittens. Um, and, you know, we're both crying and it's really, really, it can be really, really tough. But she said, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this. This is just so taxing. I'm like, we have to keep going. You know, I understand that we're burned out, but we have to think about all the success stories and, you know, the, the kittens that need help and need homes. And, and, you know, this is part of it. This is part of the experience. We're not going to save them all. And that's the understanding that you need when you get into this sort of thing. It, it is. It is. Keep being realistic and, and understanding like what you can and 
or what you do and what you don't have control over, and then just leaning into that and keep pushing forward. Exactly. I, I know you've listed some other resources about canine behavior and recognition, but um, what are some other resources that you'd like for pet sitters to, to know and be using day to day? I would say, you know, like I mentioned before, join the associations, the professional associations. That's really, really huge. And that separates you from um, hobby sitters. I would say, you know, definitely invest in a good, good website. I think it's really, really important because a lot of us don't have a storefront. So that is your branding. That is your recognition. That is your go-to. That's how people get to know you. And, you know, we go back to the relationships, the know, like, and trust factor. Um, Speaking of which, um, if you can hire a business coach, and I use Colleen Sedgwick, um, I know she was interviewed with you guys a few weeks ago. And, uh, she, if I said anything with insight today, it's probably an echo of hers because she <laughs> is amazing. So I'm very, very loyal to her. She has turned my life around. Um, and I am so grateful for this woman. Her name is Colleen Sedgwick with the pet nanny. Um, she's fantastic, you know, so those sort of resources. And like I said, if you do a dog walking Academy or take those online courses to get that basic knowledge, um, learn about canine cognition, psychology, behavior, um, and body language, you know, and aggression that for safety purposes. Is, um, that's really important. You know, I'm very systematic. So setting up your standard operating procedures and having a, a very fine-tuned machine running so that you're then running the systems. Again, that's a Colleenism. Running the systems, I run the systems and they run the business. So um, getting all of that organized, um, I use Time to Pet. I got to give them a shout out. It's a great software system that time tracks. Uh, the visit reports <clears throat> that is GPS tracked um, and keeps everything in one spot and organized scheduling oper- scheduling and um, invoicing. So that's fantastic. So I would check out Time to Pet. Um, you know, another big thing, you know, once you leverage your your pet care business through an awesome team of sitters, you can then join networking groups when you have the time and really root yourself in the community so that you're you're rubbing elbows with the right people. I had just joined the um Chamber of Commerce is down here and things like that. So you're really getting embedded in your community and your your branding, your faces out there. Um, that's really, really important. Um, and basically just, you know, market, brand, social media is huge, uh, especially today. Maybe make some videos, get go viral, you know, that's for good reason. <laughs> you know, go viral. <laughs> and get your face out there um, and just do the best that you can in these challenging times. I love that. Those are great resources, uh, Jill. And I'll make sure and include links to that and some other things that we've discussed in the show notes. People can click right to that. I have really, fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and learning about all the hard work that you're doing for, uh, to take care of the cats down in Florida and for, the dedication that you have for the ethics and morals of being a pet sitter to your clients and staying true to yourself. Um, I know that there's a lot more to cover and there's so much more to talk about for both of those topics. So how can people get in touch and follow along with everything that you've got going on? Well, you can visit um, jillsnextdoor.com. 
both, you know, of course, the pet care information's on there and also uh, Feline Alliance program at this time. And we're all over social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, Google My Business. Um, you can find us under Jill's Next Door Dog Walking and Pet Services. And you can reach out to me at jill at jillsnextdoor.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on today, Jill. It's been a real, real pleasure. Colin, thank you so much for listening. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, I think we touched on everything that I can think of. So thank you again. It has been such an honor to be a part of your podcast and congratulations on its success. When we think about what it means to be an ethical pet sitter, dog walker, house sitter, I love how Jill frames that in not just how we ethically care for the pets, but also how we ethically care and communicate to the clients and our staff if we have them. How we have to set our own values as individuals who run our businesses, and then we get to stick to those, and we get to live by those. We get to say yes to who we want to say yes to. We get to say no we want to say no to who don't align with our ethics. And the real key component to that, as Jill discussed as well, is that when we have our ethics lined out for how we run our business, we can be better pet advocates. We can advocate more effectively and efficiently for the pets and animals in our care because we are coming from a position where we know we understand. We can do that research. We can do that background work, and we can help communicate that to our clients and our community at large. How do you define ethical pet care and dog walking and in this service industry? Let us know. Send us an email at feedback at petsitterconfessional.com. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. Check out the show notes or head on over to petsitterconfessional.com forward slash episodes forward slash 149 to find information about those. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back again soon. <laughs>